0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Having a Grand Time, for seniors who are adjusting to retirement and aging. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. A series that we started called Having a Grand Time, and the title of today's message is The Fountain of Youth. And that sound good? The Fountain of Youth. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Perhaps you've heard of Ponce de Leon, as they say in Atlanta. Juan Ponce de Leon is his name, What do you associate with Ponce de Leon? The Fountain of Youth. I kind of gave that one away, didn't I? Oh, well. Now, he accompanied Columbus on Columbus's second voyage to the New World. So he was right there at the very beginning, and later he discovered Florida searching for the Fountain of Youth. And if he'd have gotten rights to the real estate, uh, he would have been a very wealthy man, wouldn't he? But that just reminds us of the eternal search for longevity, for eternal life, for youth, youthfulness, that this man would go searching all over this new continent for something that he'd heard of, that if you would take a drink out of this fountain, it would make you younger. And frankly, our society is still looking for that, isn't it? What we can't make youthful, we try to paint beautifully, color me beautiful, if you can't uh, keep it young, slap some stuff on it so it at least still kind of look young if you don't look too close. And Paul says here that there's just a principle here. It says, though our outer man is decaying or our outer woman is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The very first talk we had, we did a, a little curve that everybody, a lot, most people related to. Uh, you relate to that much better on the second half of the curve as you're coming off of, off of it from the, the peak of your abilities and strength and then coming to where you, you're bumping into all these different limitations physically, sometimes mentally, sometimes relationally. But as the doors were opening in the first half of your life and then bigger doors, then the doors begin to close and you're more and more feeling restricted and sort of not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you're seeing the dark at the end of the tunnel, and it seems to just be getting darker. Now, I don't know how many. I'm just curious. How many of you participated in uh, sports and recreation in school, or you know, participating as team or volleyball, tennis, and any kind of sports? Hold your hands up. Come on, you. Those athletes can hold those hands up. Okay, that's just about everybody. Okay, how many are participating in those kind of things about at the same level now that you were back then? OK? There you go. You're not <laughs> I used to play tennis. Incredibly enough, I got to be number two on the tennis team. We had such a bad team. I was able to float to the top. Now, when I go out, you know, I, I wonder if my insurance policy will cover. Between my heavy breathing and my rickety knee, and if I play a th- couple of weeks and continuously, my elbow begins to go out. So what Paul says, our outer man is decaying. That's just a given. That's not something. Maybe by doing some things you can slow it down. But I was reading about a guy who wrote the one of the most um, influential books and in, that got the jogging craze going. He, he published this in like 1977, and he went out and was jogging and just in 1984 and dropped dead, age 50, massive heart attack. Health guru. You know, he was pursuing the fountain of youth, and he didn't even make it, you know, to the age of probably most people in here. I'm, I mean, I'm almost 50. That's a half a century. And here he was dedicating his life, probably to a large extent, to keep that outer man from decaying, and he dropped dead. So that's not very encouraging. It says, Though our outer man is, is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And the thing I wanted to focus on today is a biblical fountain of youth rather than the way that the world looks at youth because the world is pursuing something that's absolutely impossible. We already know it's a dead-end street. And it's something that will take a lot of time, a lot of energy, and you'll have very little to show for it. But the Bible shows a different way so that when we're in that second half of our life and we're more and more aware of the limits and the limitations of our outer body, the Bible points us on a different focus of our energies that really will bear fruit and will be fruit that will last forever. And that is the inner person. That curve we showed about your increasing abilities and strength and then decreasing abilities and strength only applies necessarily to the outer man, not to the inner man. And the way God looks at it like we saw that time is that we get, in, in our inner man, we're supposed to get stronger and stronger, and then in that second half, that's where it's really supposed to get strong, because we have a whole lot of experience behind us, and we do, hopefully, fewer stupid things, because we already did them, and we realized how dumb that was, and so we're trying not to do that anymore, whereas when we in the first half of our life, we didn't know that was so stupid. In fact, it thought, thought, seemed like a good idea. It was what everybody else was doing or whatever. But in the second half, there there is a residual wisdom there to weed out bad decisions and to really live according to right priorities, God's priorities. So I want to talk to you today about uh, what are some things that the Bible says that you can invest in to really finish strong. No matter when that is, whether it's 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, Uh, What kind of a development is God looking for? The kind of development and the physical level that you were looking for back when you participated in group sports and they had you running around the field and doing push-ups and watching what you ate and all of those things. They were trying to develop you for something. And God wants to develop that inner person. So often we think the two are tied and that when my, my physical force... Wanes and my physical ability wanes; that 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 drags the rest of me down. It doesn't have to. The person who doesn't know the Lord, well, they don't have a whole lot more because they didn't really have a good reason to live anyway. But we do, and a lot of times, frankly, one of our biggest barriers to being all that God wanted us to be was because we were so strong and so quick and so able and so smart, and so we were all busy. As I read in this book recently about seeking the Lord, and it's a pastor up in New York, and he says God probably would often say, "Well, where are you rushing off to now?" You know, I mean, you you know, you just prayed two seconds, and there, you know, what's your hurry? Where are you going? And that's really what tended to characterize the first half of many lives, and now as as we begin to bump up against all of these limitations, and it's a a ton of them. I mean, you end up with so many limitations you know that nobody else even wants to hear them because it's just too long of a list. It used to be when you were little, you'd bang your finger and you'd go tell everybody. But now you've got 10 things that hurt and you're just trying to live with it and you know they got 10 things and if you start, they may tell you all of their things. And you think, well, let's just not get into that. But we've got to have a different focus. If we focus on the outer man, we're going to get depressed. Because that's not something that there's, that has to, that has to fade away because when you plant a seed, it's got a husk. You know, seed has that inner part, it's got the little part that germinates, and then it's got this husk around it. And the reason a a seed stays a seed, if you just set it up here, is because it's not put in the ground where there's moisture. Once you put it in the ground with enough moisture, the husks, the whole seed swells and it pops that outer shell and the germination can start. So, what's happening in the second part of our life is that outer shell is decaying and God is trying to birth a new life. But if we're clinging too much to that old seed shell, we're just going to be depressed. We're we're going to miss the point that God is bringing to birth a new life. When we get to heaven, when we cross over that final frontier, we want to break the tape, we want to be at a full run, a sprint. We don't want them to be dragging us in to heaven because we were so depressed about ourselves and I used to be able to run a mile and I don't know how fast and play tennis and the God says, get over it. You know, future times are coming that are way better than anything you've ever lived before. But he says, I'm working on a process right now that's very important. I need your, all of your attention. I need more energy, inner energy, than you've ever put out before. Before all of your life was focused more on the outside, busy, go here, go there. Now pain restricts you, and you can't do that that much. And if you only are thinking about that, you're not going to give your mental attention to what you can do, what I'm calling you to do at this point, which will bear fruit forever. I mean, your trophy from football or whatever it is, you're not taking that to heaven. In fact, it already looks kind of bad. You know, it's dusty. The gold stuff is kind of peeling off of it. And you think, well, I did all of that. And and it looks awful. It looks like how how I feel. But the things we're working for now and what God is wanting to do in our lives are forever. So I want to talk to you about five things. And I'll uh, try to be... Say it with dispatch. The first thing is repair relationships. Repair relationships. One of the things that happens, particularly if you're a successful person, is that in order to, in the pursuit of your profession or whatever goals your life might have been, it could be that people were damaged along the way. Either you were hurt or you hurt others, but things that maybe were very superficial when you're in your teens or 20s. But now there's some very deep-seated problem areas with important people in your life. Might be parents, brothers, sisters, uncles, children, children, spouses, whatever. But one of the things, one of the biggest things that the whole Bible is about in terms of earthly living is reconciled relationships. Now you can't, it takes two to reconcile. So you may have somebody that really hates you and you've done everything you can And if they don't change their attitude, you can only go so far. Isn't it interesting that God has the same situation? He's the God of the universe. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. And yet, unless we also will turn and participate with Him, we remain in our sins, and we're not reconciled with Him. So, don't feel bad if you've done absolutely everything you can to reconcile a relationship, and you can't. Not even God can, if the other person doesn't want to. But... Having said that, we should put a lot of energy and... There are a lot of things that are wrong in our lives that we think, oh, isn't it a shame? And we talk to people about it, and we've prayed very, very little about it. We're a little bit too much K. Sarah Sarah. That came out in 1958. It was top 10, I think, 1957, 1958. I was just looking at that. I I thought about reading you the whole list of the top 10 in 1957. But anyway, um, we're a little bit too much... Casey, whatever will be will be. Well, God's already decided it, so why pray? That's that's totally anti-biblical. He says, "You have not because you ask not." And so the first suggestion, and we see this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter two, he talks about a situation where someone had sinned against the church. The church disciplines them, and by Second Corinthians, he's saying you need to bring them back in now. You need to forgive them so that we won't give Satan a foothold because we are not ignorant of his schemes. Satan wants to divide, he wants to discourage, he wants to defeat and God is looking for us to learn how to do our part at least in repairing relationships. Forgive, ask forgiveness. You don't have forever. Do what you can. It might be writing a letter, it might be just from this day on saying because some of you, that you've got somebody right now in your mind, or maybe two, but you've at least got one, probably, most of you. There's somebody that you know that every time they think about you, they get mad, or they'd like to get even, or whatever. They just don't like you. And it may be something you did, it may be just who you represent for them, who knows. But you, you've got that person in your mind right now. And it may, your application from today as far as the fountain of youth, now all of this ties to your inner youthfulness and your inner strengthening. It's not just keeping yourself young, it's causing yourself inwardly to be fit and stronger and stronger. And it might just be to commit yourself afresh to praying for that person every single day. Pester God. Bother him. He likes that. I don't know why, but there's several parables about this and it's something God has revealed about himself when the, with the parable of the widow and the unrighteous judge. And he says, now, I like that. He says, she was on his case until he got it done. And he says, I want you to be that way with me. If there is some person that you are not reconciled with, then you, you should ask me every day. Isaiah says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. It says, you who remind the Lord, just keep at it. Keep reminding the Lord of that. Let it be his problem. Well, it won't be your problem that you didn't ask. You asked. If it's a problem, it's his problem because he didn't do it. He will, he, he will respond according to his goodwill. So there's not going to be a problem. That's all I'm saying. But uh, don't, let it, don't get to heaven with that unreconciled relationship and him tell you, why didn't you even pray about it? Why didn't you keep praying about it? Ask and you receive. Second point on the fountain of youth. To invest in people. Invest in people. Someone said one time, live your life for living things. And that's one of the things that we all have accumulated in our first half century. Things. Stuff. I mean, your attic, your boxes, you know, should I throw this away? Should I give it away? Well, who would want it? Should I sell it? That's a lot of work. I'm moving right now and I don't have, we don't even have that much and we got a bunch of junk, you know? But the challenge in that second half of our lives to invest in people. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, you, writing to the Corinthians, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, each of you have different gifts. So the way you invest in people will not necessarily be the same. Some of you will invest in people because you'll be a prayer warrior. Others have a gift of giving. Others have a gift of serving. Others simply have a gift of caring. There are many people uh, that would just like somebody to listen to them. And some of you have that gift of being able to draw people out with questions and then let them answer the questions and listen to them as they tell you. And people feel loved and hugged when you do that. But to have in your mind, instead of being worried all the time about my pains and this, I'm going to be, have an outward focus to be touching lives. There's a lady in Savannah that I know. I told you about her another time, but uh, she's the one that said rejoicing. You know, she's so decrepit. But she says she has about six different women from the church that co- take turns to come by to help her because she's so de- decrepit. And she says, I'm discipling these six young women, you know, and, and they tell me all their problems, and I share the Lord with them, and I pray for them. They, I mean, th- this is a, the Lord has just reconfigured her ministry. Now, this is somebody who's, who's always been single, who's relatively poor, who's very ill health, and may have died in, these la- in this last year. I don't even know. But she's an example of what I'm talking about. She's finishing strong. She's investing in people. Command in Genesis 1 was not be young and beautiful. When God made Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, be young and beautiful. He didn't say that. He didn't say live long and prosper. He said be fruitful and multiply. And he was talking about having descendants. And they would have been also spiritual descendants because they were in a right relationship with God. Who are you investing in? By your love, by your prayers, perhaps by your teaching. There's someone here. I won't name their name, but I wanted them to invest in my son's life. And so we went out to lunch together. And we just listened to this person share about their life and their experiences as a, as a Christian, as a young man, what this person wishes he had known when he was their age. Tremendous time. We were there talking about an hour. But that, that looking for those opportunities. I mean, not everybody wants help or input. That doesn't matter. God will guide you. The Bible says everyone who truly is a Christian is led by the Spirit of God. You don't need everybody to be open to you. You just need the ones that God has for you, and he'll bring them to you. Plato said, The wise teacher does not write his message in ink that can fade or with words that have no voice. The wise teacher looks for a disciple, and sows the seed of the message in a heart that understands. The wise teacher writes his message in men. Invest in people. Third, behold his glory. This is a fountain of youth. When Moses came down off that mountain, his face shone. Something physically had happened to him. Something spiritually had happened to to him. He is the fountain of life, the source of life. And if you don't learn to get with him more and to seek him more, you will be the less for it. For many people, they have gotten as far as religion. And, that's, and religion doesn't get you very far. It's nice. I mean, it's not something bad. Like I said, I think, in another talk, religion is like flowers in a, in a marriage. You're a loving husband, and so you bring your wife flowers. But what if you... Is it just the flowers? Does a wife on her anniversary want the husband to show up and says, Well, that's our anniversary, and I bought you flowers, so here are the flowers. Take the flowers. I've done my job. The point is not the flowers it's what did he have in his heart and even if there weren't the flowers, if there was the heart, it's fine. Religion are the flowers. God is looking for what's behind the flowers. What's in your heart? Are you growing in a heart to seek God? I see so many people in the second half of their life think, well I can't wait to retire, then I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to enjoy life, I'm going to do this, do that, and then they either they can or they can't because of physical things, money things, but so what? So what? A life spent on ourselves is meaningless. It's empty and it's a dead end. He says, I made you for more than that. I made you for more than that. And one of the things he made us for is to see him face to face and to seek his glory. This is not just religion. This is not just doing the things that, that everybody said you're supposed to do and if you didn't do it, you'd feel bad. And if, even if you didn't feel bad, others would make you feel bad, so you go ahead and do it. Well, they say you're supposed to have a Bible. I've got a Bible. They say you're supposed to read the Bible. I've tried to read the Bible. I don't get much out of it. But anyway, I'll read a little bit so I can say I did. That's not seeking God. In this second half of life, you've got more time than you've ever had before. Now, most of it, you have, there are different things you've got to do. But the fact is you've got a lot more choice about your time usage than you used to have when you had a baby here and a two-year-old yanking on here and financial limitations and everybody's got a cold, and the icebox is empty, and all of that, you, you didn't have time to say, well, let's just spend two hours with the Lord. Right now, you do have time to spend with the Lord, and if you're not spending it with Him, why not? Now, I realize part of the reason comes from other things, but let me just tell you from my own experience, there's a whole lot more to the Lord than what we've experienced. We're like little children sitting beside the ocean with a bucket and a tablespoon, filling up the bucket and dumping it out, filling another bucket up, dumping it out, trying to empty the ocean. Even if we were there for a thousand years, we would still look up and see the ocean as though we'd never touched it. That's what it's like getting to know God. There's so much more to Him than what we have seen. We can't ever get to the point with God where we've been there, done that. Oh, I, God, I only know God. We don't know God. I mean, we've, we've met him, heard his name, know a few things about it. You show me the person in our church that you can sit them down and say, I want you for a solid hour just to talk to me about God, tell me, telling me who he is and what he's like. I mean, I don't think I could do it. And yet he's infinite. What does that say? I don't know very much about it. Why? Well, part of it, maybe I haven't. Studied enough, you know? It's not just study. It's not just prayer. But prayerful study, spending that time, dedicating that time to be with Him. Sometimes it's a discipline, but it should get to the point where it is so strong, it grabs you and drags you along with it. It becomes a passion. It becomes something that that in itself is so interesting that it's no longer, well, okay, I guess I better do this. Henry says I should do this or the Bible or whatever. But it really... A fire is lit, and the motor is going. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one one degree of glory to the next. This is part of the fountain of youth spiritually, is beholding his glory. And people will be able to tell if you've been in his presence. Fourth, rejoice in God's purposes for your weaknesses. Rejoice in God's purposes for your weaknesses. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says that we have this treasure in broken clay pots. I have a very appropriate name for the me, you know, clay. We, uh, broken clay pots. I just got a rebate in the mail, and it was addressed to Henry Clam. But uh, that was a new one. But... Um, cracked pots the emphasis there is on our weakness and on our, on our fragility on our temporariness on our, our lowness but the thing about cracked pots is in, in our case is they leak glory when there are no cracks in that pot when there is no brokenness in our lives the glory of God is in us but it doesn't shine out as much it says he bangs on it with trials and arthritis and different things glory leaks out if there's glory inside I mean that's another reason why you've got to have been with the Lord enough so you got something inside that can go on the outside but we're both weak and wicked that's there are part of us being clay pots of the earth that talks about our wickedness and um, pottery talks about our weakness and frankly one of the things that scares us is, as hard as life has been, it may get harder before it gets better. And for most of us, that makes us worried and a little bit afraid, or maybe very afraid. I remember talking to one man in Argentina, and he was so obsessed with the process of, of finishing his race here, you know, because he'd seen these different situations. He was just terrified that it was going to be this way or that way, or he didn't want it to be anyway, and, and just have, praying for him, for God's peace to descend on him. Times of, of crushing are coming. If we are focused on all the crushing that will come, it's only on the outer person. It's only on the outer man. It does not necessarily crush my inner person. In fact, it can make it even stronger. It's not me that's getting crushed. It's just that, the outer husk of that seed. And to trust God every day no matter what the trial is i will have the grace i need that day for that trial so it's okay i've been praying lord i try to get ready for things you know i did my will when i was 20 i've been thinking the last 10 years about my spiritual project when i if i get cancer because anything's a possibility now i might end up going quick in a plane i hope it's not too quick cuz i like saying goodbye and talking to people, and, and a lot of times when you're really going through a time of suffering, people come to see you, so you can talk to them about the Lord, so I thought, well, frankly, I'd, I think I'd rather go by cancer than a plane crash, not that you want to go anyway, but yeah, I want to go, because I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go in my sleep, because then I, I missed it, it's like I, I got all ready for it, and I'm, it's like sleeping through your wedding, where's Henry, you know, <laughs> he's on the third pew asleep, uh, well, do you, Yeah, and but thinking, well, if I if I get cancer, well, that means I'll have a, an extended period of time where I kind of I have a warning that it's coming, and God will give me the grace for all the physical stuff and the you know all of that. That'll be okay. But but as you know, I'll be praying that God will show me which which are the people that He wants me to minister to. There may be somebody in that hospital I can disciple. Then may, maybe we can start a movement in the hospital. Who knows? Maybe we can touch the whole cancer patient. I don't have any ministry. Never had a ministry in a cancer ward. How, how could I do that? Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to be a nurse. But the only way, one, the way I could get in there long enough time would be a patient. I don't know. That's his problem. It's not my problem. But I want to get to a point in my spiritual life where I'm not weighed down by fears of things that might be coming and might not. Maybe I got all afraid of something that never was going to happen. I mean, wouldn't it be embarrassing for Jesus to come next week and we'd spent the whole last month worrying about something that was never going to happen? He said, what did you do for me this past month? Oh, I couldn't do anything for you. I was just so worried about all these things that were going to happen. Did they happen? No. Well, you just wasted a whole month. One day at a time. Do I have the grace of God that I need today? Yes. Well, tomorrow, for right now, doesn't exist. And if it ever does exist, God's going to be there right next to me. When our first daughter died, and, uh, we, you know, we took Wendy to the hospital and... She was like seven months pregnant and I, and I heard she was in the hospital. She'd been bleeding for two months and, and I drove there and I knew in my heart that the baby was going to die. And at that moment, it was the most amazing experience. It was like the, the peace and the presence of God flooded the car and it was almost as like he was carrying me to the hospital. And I thought, well, that must be what it's like to experience God's grace at the moment that you need it and it's enough. I said well if he could do it then I can trust him to do it at every other point in my life and so I'm not gonna worry about it anymore. I used to be a real scaredy-cat. For about four years every night I'd be so scared imagining horrible things up in my bedroom that I'd finally get up enough nerve to leap out over the bed so the things under the bed couldn't get me and I'd go down snares And I'd get down on my stomach and I'd crawl in like a commando by my father because he would wake up thinking it was a thief and jump me. And I'd sneak around to the other side and poke my mother trying to wake her up in a way that my dad wouldn't wake up. I did that for four years. I was a slave of fear. And God has really set me free. And he can set you free too. To rejoice in God's purposes for your weakness. There are reasons for that. There are purposes in it. It's okay. There's a time for everything. And last, focus on the invisible realities. That's in this verse that we talked about. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He began this this long sentence with saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. Have you lost heart? When you lose heart, you lose energy. You lose focus. You lose vision. You lose desire. You begin to think about just your life just kind of Ending like that, it's discouraging. You've got to keep your focus where the Bible says. He says, We're not going to keep our focus on this little old husk here. It's gonna it's gonna crumble away anyway. Some a little faster, some a little slower. Doesn't matter. The the more it cracks, the more glory leaks out. The less it cracks, the more I'll do. It's okay. He says, but we're going to we do have a focus. We're not just gonna close our eyes and go to sleep. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. E.M. Bound says, you can never think too much or too well about heaven. You can never think too often or too well about heaven. Where is your focus? I'm not saying that you should only focus on heaven, but frankly, if we don't focus enough on heaven, it affects how we are here on earth. That's one of the reasons why we get so depressed about our body, because we're thinking primarily earth. If we think earth and heaven... Well, the heaven is the heavier part of the thing. I mean, it's a big thing. Every loss we suffer here of mobility, of sight, of hearing, of mind, makes heaven a bit sweeter. Because as long as everything's great here, are we in a hurry to get to heaven? No. Terrified to go to heaven. Don't take I want to stay here. But the more everything hurts... And if you lived another 50 years like you wish you would, everybody you know would be dead. I mean, there's just no good way to slice it. Heaven is our home. And we, we, none of us know who's going to get there next. But I believe that when we get there, somehow everybody else is going to get there at the same time. Because it's another dimension. It's not something bound by time. So, you know, if I go first, I'm not going to have to wait 20 years for you, even though it might be another 20 years for you. I think we're all going to get, hey, well, you know, we've got to all get there together. Great. We need to focus on what is not seen because that's one of the keys to not losing heart. And every loss I suffer here, physically, pain, whatever it is, makes heaven that much sweeter. We are enriching heaven by sending our loved ones on before us. Be somebody there to greet us. I'm looking forward to meeting my great-great-grandfather, who was a very fine Christian, fought in the Civil War, and we should never have the attitude, I'm going to die. You are never going to die and I'm never going to die." Words of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Now I may crumble down in a little heap, but I'm never going to die, because the dying is the inside of me. And Jesus says, he who believes in me will never die. Isn't that great news? You will never die. But we are preparing for our final exams. All of our life has been a course. And we've had a couple of midterms and things that have been challenging. But most of us have kind of a big deal ahead of us. We don't know what's going to be on the test. It's a closed book, closed notes. I don't know if I'm going to have... Uh, cancer, or I'm going to be lived to 98. I know I'm not going to live to 98. Nobody would want me anyway. Uh, you know, But uh, I don't know what my final exams are going to consist of. Because sometimes it's things that happen to you. And sometimes it's not anything that happens to you. It's ha- things that happen to people next to you. Or loved ones. Doesn't matter. Every day we're preparing for our final exams. And we want to at every moment in our life, and particularly the last Decades of our life, that's where we really want to shout with our lives. Jesus Christ His life and victory and resurrection. And I'm going to live forever and invite others to live forever too. It's a great message we've got. It's the fountain of youth. It's life forever and ever. The renewing of the inner person must be something you do every day. And I think I've said enough for today. But let's close with a word of prayer. Ponsilian looked, Lord, for that fountain of youth, but he didn't need to. We've already found it. His name is Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. The one who said, The one who lives and believes in me shall never die. Lord, we praise you that today we have eternal life that lasts forever. Yes, there'll be a few bumps in the road, doesn't matter. You'll be there at every bump in the road. But help us to be strong in our relationship with you. Not so tied to our preferences and pleasures here on earth. But alive to the will of God. Seeking the face of God. Calling out for you to set your hand in motion. To do great things, not just in our lives. Lord, use us as a channel of blessing to many people. To touch many lives. To live our lives for living things. And Lord, we want to see your glory. Lift our hearts today, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.